Boy, that's the time to stand up Them bootstraps you pull them up With your head command up A close mouth don't get fed Be careful of handouts You better put your bread up In case your cake don't pan out Stack chips, restaurant Chippendale, no strip tease Snowfall, chance of hell Meant to fail, bitch please Look, no long shot This is a layup line, the rim full of feet Better cross your heart if it cross your mind And you never get to think about crossing me Just beast mode, no nepotism, just repetitions. I'm reptilian, Bruce Leroy. Born with my back on the bricks, but I turned them food stamps into Cleco. I was in the mud with my cleats on, but I made it all look like free throws, yeah. I'm with the wannabes, wannabe, knocking down any obstruction in front of me. Wanna see come for me, thundery, even the younger me shocked at what has become of me. My energy plummeted, hard to believe. Knocked to the ground, I got kicked in the knees. Roasted my feet, now I float like a butterfly, sting like you already know. I'm Marvin Gaye on any beat that you bring I can't even sing Fight for the people until we all equal Martin Luther the King I does it all Just give me the bar Go hard for the team It's all for the team Only thing left is to Only thing left is to bring home a ring Kevin J. Johnston. This, of course, is the Kevin J. Johnston Show that runs Monday to Friday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Calgary time and from 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Toronto time. Yes, I am in the studio tonight. We're going to do part two of What is Money? What is Crypto? Which one is more real? We're going to talk a little bit about, uh, not a little bit, quite a bit, in fact, about the continuing history of money because we all need to know 
where money is, how dangerous money is. And if you're trying to correlate how it is your country is so messed up right now, and everybody is so broke right now, yet there are still some very rich and powerful people out there driving past you with the Lamborghinis, you're going to get a better understanding tonight as to why that is. But we're also going to have a solution for you. We're offering solutions on this site. I want to remind everyone as well that not only are we talking about solutions to do with money tonight, Monday, we have Benita Peterson's coming back. And she's going to be bringing in an excellent gentleman uh, who is an expert in logistics. We're going to be talking about supply chain management in Canada, where it's gone wrong, but also what it is and why it's gone wrong and what all of you can do to protect you, your family, wives, husbands, loved ones, whatever it might be. Uh, I want to say thank you to each and every one of you for being here all the time. Thank you for all your kind emails. Uh, yes, I'm very much alive. Um, due to court orders, there are restrictions on what I can talk about. So, for example, in last night's show, I was just absolutely desperate to be the Grand Inquisitor of last night's show with Dr. Palmer. But it can't be. It can't be. Because we do not have freedom of speech in Canada. Canada, we've covered this before, but I'll just say it again right now. Canada is an Islamo-fascist, Sino-fascist, communist regime. That's the way that it works. There are select groups, really, really powerful groups that run Central Canada and other groups that don't like that group running Western Canada. And we're all stuck in the middle and all none of us have any answers. Well, we do. And we're going to share with you everything that we know, or at least little bit by little bit as to what it is that we know. Um, my Lord, my hair looks horrible. It's just been one of those days, folks. I haven't had time to. To get slick in there back. with the comb or slick it back or anything else, right? <laughs> it's all good. It's winter time. We all have bed head and hat head all winter long. Um, I'd like all of you, by the way, and oh, hello, Karen, out in uh, Mississauga. Great to, uh, to see from you again. Absolutely. Uh, I want you to get your questions ready because I'm going to speak for the better part of an hour to an hour and 20 minutes on this subject. This subject is very important to me. Very important to me for all the reasons I've mentioned before, and I'll repeat some of them tonight. But you probably are going to be wondering what I'm talking about in some cases. And I want you guys to get your questions ready, structure them well, and then uh, send them over to freedomreport.ca at gmail.com. I'm watching them up here. Remember, if any trolls send any profanity, we don't read it, guys. We're wasting your time. It just goes straight into the delete file, and we don't bother. We're not going to even acknowledge you. Like, we, we don't care about you. If you are that angry... And you hate me that much. Why are you here? I think it's hilarious that you're here. And I think it's funny that you spend so much time typing emails to me. But we truly, truly, truly don't care. We're deleting them all. Uh, in fact, I'm opening up the email boxes right now because we're going to be ready for your, uh, for your, um, uh, what does that say? That, sound, that, that seems like an important one. We'll be ready for all your questions on all of our email accounts. And you're wondering also, some of you, why I'm wearing not one but two sweaters and not one but two T-shirts. Why would that be? It's because the, um, the furnace isn't working. We can't get the temperature in this room above 60. It's crazy. In the whole old studio. Yeah, I got my, my winter coat on. Look at on. this guy. Yeah, right here. Oh, <laughs> he's got, he's got, got two shirts on, on a sweater, winter jacket. He's, he's got a glove on one hand. He's, he's covering up his, his, uh, uh, his ears. ears. <clears throat> it, just, it just never ends. It? it absolutely never ends. So if anybody wants to donate tonight, it's uh, 
we got the quote. It's not going to be cheap to fix this thing, but <laughs> we need to get it done. Because my understanding is the way that it's working right now, it's going to completely fail in the next couple of days. Whatever it is, we'll, uh, we'll keep at it. And, and oh, here we go. Oh, stop it, Karen. My goodness gracious, you're embarrassing me. Oh, my God. Okay, let's, let's dive into this. Uh, we did part one of this last week on Thursday, where I was talking about some of the history of money and, and explained to you what money is, what currency is, and how you need to kind of, not kind of, how you do have to change your mindset as to what has value and what does not have value and what should have value and what should not have value. And as uh, Derek will be uh, showing all of you when his documentary comes out sometime next year, uh, human beings have no value whatsoever in, in the city of Calgary. You'll, you'll learn that. That's the city of Calgary's declaration. But so I don't want... Someone wants to know how long you've been uh, learning crypto for. How long have I been learning? Full-time since April. Yeah. Full-time. Uh, the curiosity, I'm looking at it on a part-time basis, probably two and a half years before I decided to start studying, like just hammering it full-time. Um, and when I say full-time, I mean I was dedicating anywhere from two to seven hours to it, depending on what time I had. Uh, aside from that stint that they locked me up in prison for, couldn't do it then, but yes. Um, right now, to answer that question, right now I'm studying this stuff. I'm, I'm going through everything for between 6 and 12 hours a day. It's a lot. It's a lot to take in. And I've got to refresh the stuff I learned the previous week and the current week and so on because there's so much of it. I'm following trends. I'm watching what's going on online. And I'm, I'm seeing which countries are discussing turning cryptocurrencies into national or regional currencies, like the state of Texas, for example, where you can pay taxes now on, with Bitcoin. Now, these are things that we all need to monitor. <clears throat> and I'm going to continue to monitor it for you because we want to be able to give answers to Canadians and Americans who are struggling greatly because their government has chosen to go to war with them, with us, with we the people. And we do need to have answers. All right. So if you remember last week, we uh, we talked about a little bit about what money is, uh, about the Federal Reserve and the fact that the Federal Reserve in the United States of America is not a... Um, it's not a government-run institution. It's a private bank. We'll talk a bit more about private banking today. We're going to review fractional reserve banking today. But um, money, currency. I'll just throw a little bit of my own opinion on that, and then we're going to get right into the history here. And this is really, really good stuff. Currency is whatever you decide it is. The old saying is, everything is worth what its purchaser will pay. If you wanted me to buy uh, let's say a 14 karat gold diamond ring off of you. I might offer you 70 bucks for it. I mean, tops has no value to me. Diamonds are everywhere. Carbon is such a common element on the planet that to me, diamonds have zero value. It was the diamond industry that went to Hollywood, you know, those guys and said, put diamonds on everybody in your black and white movies and make sure the camera zooms in on diamonds so that we can sell diamonds to foolish people who think that because a celebrity wears them, they have value. I'm telling you, I hate diamonds. I really do. I only would, I would not invest in them, but I would do a trade deal. If you were to come to me saying, I've got eight pounds worth of diamonds, um, Kevin, I want your autograph. Okay, I'd trade you, maybe trade you an autograph for diamonds. I don't see a value in that. And I certainly would never have put a ring on anybody's finger in this lifetime who is going to demand of me a diamond. You know, a diamond has to be of a select value. Why? You put a ring on your finger 
and it doesn't do anything. Really, it does, it does not do anything. And the way diamonds are cut in jewelry, they're not even useful as glass cutters. So diamond rings to me and jewelry in general has absolutely no value. It might have value to you, and that's good. So if everything is worth what its purchaser will pay, I might give you seven might give you 70 bucks for a really expensive ring. You might bark out saying, but I paid six thousand for this in the store. I would tell you that you're a fool and I'll give you 70 bucks. Whereas I guess Spider-Man issue number one, to me, I'd like to see it to say that I've seen it, to say that I held it in my hand, but I'm certainly not going to give you any money for it. However, it might mean something to one of those 47-year-old guys who's never had a girlfriend living at home with mom and dad. That comic book has such value that he's willing to drop 25,000 bucks on it. Good for him. What do you do with a comic book worth 25,000 bucks aside from sell it to the next collector in line? It has no value until you sell it. Unless it's, of course, personal value and $25,000 is nothing to you. You know, there are people out there that 25,000 bucks to them is like 25 cents to us. And they'll have stuff like that just because they're bored. They don't know what to do with their money. They don't have any imagination on what to do with their excessive wealth. So they just buy stuff. It doesn't mean the stuff they're buying has any value. A car, to me, has value in Canada because we have spent all of our time building roads in this country and none of our time really upgrading our rail lines. I mean, Calgary's got a half-decent LRT system. Toronto's got a decent, but not incredible, just a decent subway and, and bus and streetcar system. You know, uh, but no matter what, if you're outside of the downtown, the immediate downtown core, if you want to get around anywhere in this country, a car is valuable. And a car that works with no mechanical problems is valuable. I'm prepared to pay somebody for a car that works. But I'm certainly not prepared in any way, shape, or form uh, to hand you anything more than I would say between seven and ten thousand dollars for a reliable car, and I think we covered this before. Everyone, a brand new car that has a price tag of eighty-five thousand dollars is of no value to me. What am I going to do with that that I couldn't do with a five or six thousand dollar car? If the car is reliable, I'm fine. We've talked about this where I told you the car I drive is going to be twenty-eight years old in about two weeks. I drive a twenty-eight-year-old car, and I'm happy with it because it does what I need it to do. You get in, close door, put on seatbelt, turn engine, it gets me where I got to go. If you came to me saying that uh, we've got this, this brand new Ferrari Testarossa, so there's no value in that. I can't afford to keep a car like that up. I certainly don't want to be hiring mechanics every week to keep the car tuned. You know, and, and that is where these things that you have that you say in your own mind has value. You end up, they end up owning you. Things you own end up owning you. Really, really expensive fancy cars are really, really expensive to insure and maintain. So if you're not making a boatload of money, what's the point? This is where I'm going with, with uh, everything I'm saying is value is what you perceive it to be. And at the same time, uh, thank you, Jennifer. That's what we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks is I'll be teaching everybody about Bitcoin. And I also do private consultations now for anybody who wants to learn about Bitcoin. Um uh, in the value game, I see a lot of value, for example, in experiences. And I see a lot of value, as another example, in good company with good people. Philosophically speaking, I have 35 years left to my, my lifespan. My life is well past the halfway mark. I would much rather, at Christmas time or Easter or yeah, on my birthday, I would much rather 
sit with a bunch of people that I really like, have some decent food, and just enjoy myself. I don't want presents. I don't want gifts. They don't have any value to me. The, the people that I love in my lifetime do. So I'm one of those guys you cannot con convince <clears throat> something has value unless you can absolutely prove it to me. Period. I hate salesmen of all kinds because it's always going to be some kind of high-pressure sales tactic to buy this. It's great. It'll make your life easier. Probably not. You got to store it somewhere. Wherever you buy, you got to store. You know, you probably end up throwing away about a third of the stuff you buy every year anyway because you keep tripping on it. Right? So value. Yeah, green screen's horrible tonight, guys. Like I said, we're having electrical problems. We're having cold. It's cold in here. Yeah. We solved a laptop problem, and then we get lighting problems. You know, like we'll solve the lighting problems. We'll get something else next week. Uh, sorry, guys. We The green screen is driving me mental, too, because I got to watch where I sit. You know, otherwise, the green Better cameras would help and better lighting. Yeah, we do need lights. We need better cameras. If anybody has the following, please do indeed let me know. All right, so getting into the whole thing of money. I decided to... Uh, I wanted to bring something up. Let's go back to Roman times, all right? Uh, Rome, they conquered a lot, and they made a very big mistake as an empire. Whenever they would conquer an area, they would automatically make everybody within that conquered area Roman citizens. And that led to, I guess, what we call the first multicultural society. What happened to it? It collapsed because nobody wanted to be Roman who wasn't already Roman. Same idea as you know, we in the West stating to ourselves, we're doing a good thing going to Afghanistan and bringing them democracy. They don't want it. So why bother? They really don't want it. They like tribalism, so let them have it. It's got nothing to do with us. Well, the, um, the Romans. Uh, I'll go back to the year 410, 410 AD. When the Romans, they, they held the British Isles, and what they had done is they brought their particular form of currency, their commerce style with them, which was silver and gold coins. And there was a lot of them. When the Romans were there, they minted a lot of coins. <clears throat> yes, it's true that in Roman times, a lot of uh, centurions, the soldiers, they were paid in salt and minerals that they needed to eat and that their families needed to eat. And at the end of retirement, they were promised a plot of land that they would then be able to live on for the rest of their lives. The only thing that they had to do with that land was grow food. That was That's the deal that was made. So with the Romans... Uh, they brought their coins with them, but they retreated. In the year 410, they retreated. And the Brits were now, like all the all the clansmen up there, all the groups up there, all, all the smaller clans. And I know my there's Irish in my blood. You know, it's all it's all clans and whatnot. It's, they're they're kind of crazy. The Scots were nuts, the Irish were nuts, the Welsh were nuts, the, the English were nuts. They hated each other for some reason. They hated the Romans. They fought the Romans and they fought each other, then they fought themselves. And, Human beings are idiots, all of us. So let's let's just not make this a race thing. Let's make it a, a statement of fact. Well, the coins circulated for a very long time to come. Here's the problem. The Romans left. They took their minting technology with them. They took their valuable metals that weren't already pressed into coins with them. So money, for those who were using the Roman coins, and it was a lot of people that were, a lot of towns and, and regions and, and whatnot, they no longer had the ability to make new money. So they would circulate the older coins, which meant that those older coins had a higher value. And the reason that they had the higher value is because there was fewer of them. If there's less money supply, it's worth more. If there's a higher money supply, it's worth less. I will cover that. 
I definitely will cover that. <laughs> However, it was still centuries. There were enough coins that the Romans left behind that they did circulate for centuries. So if you wanted to buy bread or whatever, wheat, prostitutes, rent at, a, at an inn or whatever you wanted to buy, you could still use Roman coins. They were accepted everywhere as legal tender. Uh, and funny enough, the coins, the minted coins, they actually outlasted the Roman Empire itself. Rome, the Roman Empire crumbled, and their coins were still being used as currency, with no central bank to uh, to back them up, and with no new coins being minted. So, um, when coins, here, here's the other thing. All right, and this is where the enterprising individuals out there they they really do know how to screw things up for everyone else. Like people who are over the top, selfish and greedy, really kind of ruin it for everyone else. But I'm not too sure um, how I feel about that, really, because we live in a capitalist society. Um, and some of the economic theories out there, Adam Smith himself said it, that in economic theory, society functions best when everybody's out there looking out for their own best interests. And there's other theories that have countered that one. But regardless, I don't blame people who go out of their way to earn vast swaths of, of anything. So what was happening is the uh, the coins themselves, they were being kind of grabbed up and, 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 and hoarded by those who understood metallurgy and those who understood what silver and gold was and how that they could remint something new with it. So they would melt down coins. They literally, they would buy and sell whatever they possibly could. They would mint, um, sorry, not mint, they would take minted coins, melt them down and make jewelry and then sell that jewelry for goods and for wares that they wanted. I mean, maybe they would melt the jewelry down and buy a horse and a stable to go with it. Maybe, like, it, maybe again, prostitutes. It's just, it was a huge thing back then. It really was. Uh, food, obviously. There's all kinds of things that you can do with bigger pieces of jewelry. You might even be able to bribe the local duke and get some land for this piece of golden jewelry that you were smart enough to melt down and make yourself. Because the knights and the dukes and, and the viscounts and everybody else, they were all greedy as hell too. And they all took bribes. All of them did. Human beings have been taking bribes forever. So that uh, that is where that type of thing would happen. Um, but also, when you're melting coins down, um, they're, they're no longer in the system. So th those coins are not going to be reminted. Now there's fewer coins. What do you do? The other thing that a lot of these uh, guys were doing is that they would take Roman coins, realizing that they had a high value in the British Isles because there was fewer of them. But they had an even higher value in France and Austria and Spain and Portugal because they were silver and gold. And port the Portuguese and the Spanish, they were big time into gold and silver, let me tell you. So you, you would then go and grab as many coins as you could from circulation in the British Isles, jump on horseback, jump on a boat, jump on horseback after you cross the English Channel and go and, and sell your coins or do whatever you want with them in the other economies that will give you more value for your money, which means that those coins were being removed from the economy, removed from circulation, never to be seen again. So what what do you do? How, um, how do you trade with no coins? See, in the Middle Ages, Roman coins, they were still around, but they were very rare, extremely rare. Um, you couldn't mint anything because illiteracy was just huge. People didn't read and write back then. People were serfs 
and farmers for a reason because they couldn't read and write. So they just believed whatever the local baron would tell them to believe, whatever the local knight would come into town and tell them to believe. They didn't have any way to make a cogent argument against anything because they weren't educated. So when you have no coins and you've got this Middle Ages, not, I'm not going to say flourishing, but growing, where now you've got marketplaces in towns where you don't have to go nine miles to see a farmer to get some food and then walk nine miles back exhausted. No, what you would do is you would go into town and you had the guy with fruit and you had the guy with maybe vegetables. You had the guy with some meat. You had the guy with clothing. So you'd be able to spend your money there. But with no coins, that system was also beginning to fail. You know, it built up fast and was beginning to fail because there's no money. So the solution, you got to move to a debt-based system, which is what, what we have now. To simplify it, <clears throat> I have no money. You have a horse. I really, really, really want that horse, but I have no money. So what do we do? You write a note. I sign the note that says, you're giving me the horse. And at some point, you're going to get, let's say, five gold pieces. If we decide that it's five gold pieces, one day you're going to get the five little pieces of gold from me. Or equivalent value in something else. Chickens, eggs, milk, toast, bread, sorry, whatever you got, wheat, barley, Ale, whatever I happen to have, if that's what we agree on that I could use to pay that five gold piece debt, then so be it. And it worked. It worked because the towns were small enough. The hamlets were small enough. The groupings of people together were small enough. The church groups were small enough that handshake deals like this could happen and they would be honored right up until that person's death. You could, you could have deals where you would honor the deal for 20 years. 20 years later, oh yeah, here's the last chicken I owe you for that horse from 20 years ago that I turned into food five years ago. People would actually honor those debts. Not all, of course, but for the most part, that type of debt was being honored. So you, um, in the promise to pay, there's all kinds of ways to pay anything. It doesn't have to just be chickens and, and pigs and, and meat and everything else. What, what you could be trading is the sweat of your brow. You could also say, hey, listen, I know I owe you three and a half gold pieces now in this deal. How about I work on your farm for a straight week, no pay, and we will agree that that is worth half of a gold piece. So you're, it's not necessarily indentured servitude, but it, it's similar, where you have decided that you don't have something to give aside from you can give yourself. You can sell yourself and your skill set or your labor. Nothing wrong with any of that kind of deal. But... What happens when human beings become a little bit more prosperous? What happens every time? The population goes up for a while and then balances out. And that population expects more and more and more product and comfort and luxury and, and everything else. And that'll mean that the hamlets of 50 people have now become towns of 1,000 people. But when it was a hamlet of 50 people, everyone knew each other. When it was a bigger hamlet, maybe 500 people, they still all knew each other. Now there's 1,000. Now there's 2,000 people in this town. Handshake deals 
are not going to work if some grifter walks into town and says, yeah, I'm going to make this deal. I'll take your horse. I'll give you five gold pieces, shake hands, and it never comes back, ever. So how do you police that? What What is, in a debt-based society, how does one keep a record of that debt considering that nobody could read and write? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know. And we're going to teach that to you now. We're going to cover this now. Contracts. Um, the, the idea of the contract, it wasn't invented in the Middle Ages. It evolved from previous agreements. It became The contract became the more serious way to keep agreements, to keep records, sorry, of uh, agreements. But still, there is a problem. And the leaders knew this. The population is dumb. They can't read. Everyone's dying from cholera and dysentery. How do we have contracts that the average person with an extremely low IQ, how do they understand it? And how do we not get ripped off? How do people not get ripped off? <clears throat> well, tally stick. Eric, we got a slide there. It should be yes, an orange. Yes, we do. Let's, let's bring up the tally stick. That's the one. There we Nope, not that one. Yeah, yeah, there we go. That's the one. The tally stick, everybody. This here was it was actually ingenious. And I mean absolutely ingenious that this this was money. You're looking at money right now. This is a contract and it's money. It's a piece of wood. And it's a piece of wood where you've got notches notched in it to have a record of the value of the transaction taking place. How much is this stick worth? You notch it. It was being done because the average person could just look at the notches and those who couldn't read usually could count. So anybody could count and say, okay, there's the penny notch and there's the pence notch and there's the pound notch. We know how much this stick is worth just by looking at the notches. Pretty cool. All right. So this was, yeah, there you go. Let's stop right there. This was introduced because you wanted to have a bilateral contract trading system. You had to have it. Otherwise, the king would have to intervene in every single transaction. Could you imagine being a king and trying to deal with the squabbles of John and William who are arguing over how many eggs had to be in the basket for Saturday? No, 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 no. You have to let people do their own deals. You've got to let people do their own negotiating and let people tabulate things for themselves, but still have the protection of the king. That's where the tally stick came in. So the sticks, they had notches of monetary value, and I'll cover the monetary value shortly. And, and after the stick was notched, you can see the little drawing there, here, uh, right, right, right there. They would actually split the stick vertically, and each party got a side of the stick. So that when it came time to cashing in this stick, which is money, you had to match the other side, and if one side had more notches, that meant there was more money on that side of the stick, but you lied because it doesn't match the other guys. So that's the surefire way to get yourself a month in jail or a punch in the face or you know, stand in the stockades for a couple of days. That's how you do it. Try to take a system like that and cheat it. I'm sure many tried because you know those who are looking for a quick buck rarely think about the consequences. And those who are looking for a quick buck, um, also, they are rarely considering 
that if you're going to commit a crime, there's a lot of planning that you have to do. You don't just say, yeah, let me, I got a nine millimeter pistol. I'm going to walk in that bank and rob it. You're going to lose, probably get shot, probably, probably get dead. No, you want to commit a crime, you got to plan it out. And the tally stick was one that even if they were planning it out, you still couldn't beat the system because you had to match it up to what the other guy had. Now, the sticks evolved, and they got they were refined to make them... Yeah, there, there you go. They were refined to make them counterfeit-proof, and I'll explain that shortly here, all right? Um, they're actually... Derek, why don't you put that one full screen? Because I'm going to explain this right now. So one of the methods here for the tally stick was to, to make one side of it longer. And you can see... That's what you have right here. The uh, the longer side of it, which you see on the bottom right, um, that was given to the receiver of the debt. So if I was going to go into debt and give you my horse, I got the bigger piece of the stick. But if you have a look at the, the, the middle of the stick there, those values match up. So it's not like my stick is worth more money because I've got the bigger end. The bigger end just means that I'm the guy that the, that the debt is owed to. That's all that it meant. So that's called the stock. Me as the guy who's giving you my horse for the notches in this piece of wood, I get the, the stock. And at some point in the future, we're going to match them up and see if everything matches. Like we're going we're gonna to close our contract out at some point in the future. So yeah, there we go. Now the smaller part was called the foil. And that was given to the person who received the funds. Like it might actually be that on the tally stick, you recorded this as a money transaction and you actually got money for it. It could have been that you got coins for it. But in most cases, you got products, services, livestock, a place to sleep. That's the kind of things that you would get for, uh, for your tallies. So both parties, they had the contract pretty much in their hands. And it was in a way you couldn't counterfeit. You couldn't. You just you can't counterfeit this. You can try, but you can't counterfeit. Hold, hold off on that one there for a second. All right. So you line up side by side. You agree the debt's paid and the debt is paid. So you've now got money circulating in medieval Europe using sticks. So you remember how I said in the last show, money doesn't exist? Like It's an illusion. It, 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 look at this. This is like a Harry Potter wand. Like presto casholo, and now you've got value on a stick. <laughs> you can buy horses with a stick. You just take a stick and you, you, you cut a notch in it, and boom, you got a horse. But it worked. This worked incredibly well. In fact, it worked so well that the, the kings out there were able to finance large projects with it. Let me cover that shortly. So now uh, there's no counterfeiting. That could possibly have taken place. But somebody would try. And as with everything, there's what's called the frivolous or the vexatious lawsuit. And, and in some cases, somebody would yell or raise their voice or, or lie to the local magistrate, the local court, the local knight, the local duke, the local viscount, the local whoever, and say, I'm Willem, that's John, and uh, John owes me this much money because we made a deal on a tally stick. And then John says, nah. No, we don't. He brings his tally stick in and shows that to the court. The tally stick was the ultimate piece of evidence to prove that you did, you were not in debt, that you had actually maintained 
your end of the bargain. The tally stick was allowed in courts. Pretty amazing. Tally stick, um, not only did the courts accept this as absolute evidence of a contract, this became a national currency in the British Isles. This was everywhere. This thing was everywhere. People would walk with their tally sticks in their hands because like, it was money. And there would be no point of somebody pickpocketing you for that because who has the other half? They would never know that. And if a thief came over to trying to match the tally stick up to people in the streets, they'd beat them senseless. So it was not the kind of thing that was stolen. Now, gold and silver were stolen, but the tally sticks weren't. So they were, they were legal proof of debts in court, and they were legal proof of payments of debts in the courts. Now, uh, let's go back to the previous one there, Dirk. See, these are the big notches here. You're, you're wondering what the value was in these notches. If you can see, there's the big one there. Um, that was the, uh, the thickness of the palm of your hand. So the big notch that you see dead center, that's a thousand pounds. Yeah, that's a thousand pounds. Then you go left to the one that's the breadth of your thumb. That's a hundred pounds, right? Like as in British pounds. And then you go to the smaller ones. Um, 20 pounds was the breadth of your little finger. Now, yes, we know that everybody had different body measurements, but, you know, in this era, close enough. <laughs> really. One pound was the width of a single barley corn. That is uh, 8.3 millimeters, not centimeters, but millimeters. So you take the barley corn and you, you lay it down and you make the notch in the wood to the width of, of that. And then you had the penny, which you'd probably, oh, do you see that in the far left side there? No, there's no penny cuts in this particular one. The penny ones, it would just be uh, like a scratch in the wood that had to uh, to match up. Just a quick tune with a knife or with a really sharp stone. So that's, that's how that works. That that stick right there is yeah, one, so about 1,300 and something pounds yeah, circulating <coughs> in the economy because these two pieces of wood exist. I mean, how crazy is that? I'm looking at the camera thinking, you know, that's crazy. That is crazy. It's crazy. I'm mind blown. All right. <laughs> well, that's the idea of the show is, is to open your mind up to our history so that we don't repeat these mistakes. But I'll tell you this right now, man. And there were some smart kings back in the day who they would just, they would order in their, their finance guy, their, their treasurer and whatnot, and they would make an agreement as to how many tally sticks he could create on the spot and introduce into the economy without hurting the economy. So the king would just sit there eating chicken and drinking wine while somebody else was doing all the carving. But if the king had a good finance minister, they could create money by etching numbers of pounds into these tally sticks and then sending these things out to the viscounts who would then move them down the line, eventually to the knights who would then use them to hire soldiers. You can finance entire wars just by handing pieces of wood from one human being to another. Just pass the stick. Just use the stick. This is worth <laughs> this is worth 500 pounds. Now go get some service and get in some armor. Here. And the guy's riding along like this. Like this stick is now going to pay for him to have his army, which was the king's army, of course, but 
Wow. Public infrastructure, roads being built, boats being built, missions to protect the, the states being built, new, uh, new crowns with jewels being built, but all these things being put together to help the country out with pieces of wood. So when I say money doesn't exist, <laughs> this is exactly what I'm talking about. And it's, it's brilliant. I'm not laughing because the concept is foolish. I'm actually laughing because the concept is absolutely brilliant. Money doesn't exist, but they got the people to believe that money existed and they would release just enough of these tally sticks into the local economy to make sure the economy was either going to stay level, stable, or flourish. Wow, we, wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can have the same thing. We, we honestly could. We can draft our own contracts up and agree to pay each other in whatever we wish. Now, I, I've done this before where I've needed um, physiotherapy. I've done trade, barter and trade deals where I needed to get five or six really good professional massage I jobs traded, done. I traded gasoline for beer. <laughs> no, you traded beer for gasoline. Oh, right. That's what you did. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, would, uh, I would trade graphic design work all of the time to get things I needed. And some, I'm telling you, like getting therapeutic work done on yourself when you're injured, it's an incredible thing to, uh, to not have to fork over 250 bucks an hour to do it, especially when you don't have it at that particular time. So, um, the tally stick, everybody. Brilliant. Let's go back to paper money now. If you remember in last show, we talked about colonial script. That's what uh, Benjamin Franklin had worked on. And the 13 colonies had released just enough of this paper money to have the economy flourish. And it did. And then when the Brits came in, tried to force their pound sterling on the 13 colonies so they could tax it, that was pretty much the cause of the, uh, of the revolution. And the Brits lost and the Americans ended up with a country. And, you know, the Brits lost all that land. The Brits should have just found a way to tax the script and not force their own money into a system that didn't want it. Well, in the United States, after the British Empire had killed colonial script through inflation, which they had done. Remember I said, you know, back in the 1700s, you had pairs of shoes that were worth 5,000 bucks. It's crazy. That's that's how bad inflation can, uh, can get. Well, after all that was said and done, there's always... There's always geniuses out there. And I love geniuses when they have the, um, when they've got society's best interests at heart, geniuses are wonderful to have. When they have just their own greed at heart, they're the most horrible thing in the world because they'll do whatever it takes to get more wealth, to have more control, to have more power. They will kill you to take more power. They'll kill millions to, uh, to, to have more power, to have more money. So what I'm saying here, is that these geniuses, they were able to understand banking, how to create money, value from nothing, and then loan it to people and have them pay you back with interest. And then how to buy stocks in your own bank with other people's money. And these guys, pretty ingenious, sinister as hell, but ingenious. So what they wanted to do is these European bankers, you know, they, they're called the money changers, like we call them scumbags. Let's call them what they are. They wanted to have, they want to create their own central bank in 
the USA. Now that America had won the war against Britain, they want to create their own bank and they wanted to loan money to the American government that in the past had printed its own money and now no longer printed its own money. So in order to get this to happen, they needed to make sure that they were dealing with the correctest members of, of Congress in the States that didn't understand the system at all. They had to find those ones and lobby them. That's what they have to do is, is, is seed the vote, bribe them or just convince them that you're doing the right thing. So when they're dealing with Congress, the Congress folks wanted to have money circulating in the economy. Like everybody in Congress wanted that. Everybody in the presidency wanted that. You know, everybody in general wanted money with an American logo or something on it that they could then use and start getting their lives back after all this strife and all these wars. So the, the bankers themselves, they just knew. They were educated in this because they created the system. And they knew that Congress didn't know anything about it at all. So they, were, they managed to actually get in there. And as the Constitution of the United States was being written, make it so that there was never a part of the U.S. Constitution that gave the United States of America the power to create and circulate its own money. Because a lot of things happened in North America at that time, not just the United States, but in Canada. There was a lot of crazy history that took place at, at these times. So everybody was scrambled trying to do the right thing, trying to build countries, trying to build territories, trying, trying, trying to get these things to happen. And, uh, and with that, there was no way that Congress would have known. I don't even think the president of the United States at the time when I'm talking here would have been the second president of the United States. They wouldn't have understood the system either. The bankers did. So the bankers, they utilized bribes, threats, whatever, like all kinds of things I'm sure happened that have just been lost to history. I'm sure the Jeffrey Epstein Island concept was very prevalent back then. I'm sure of it. So, you know, I'm sure there was dirt. I'm sure there was a lot of blackmail that was going on. So all of these tricks were, were put in place to ensure that Congress would never amend the Constitution to allow America to print its own money. It was a plan. It's a plan from day one. The Constitution, to this day, in the United States, and of course our Constitution and our Charter and everything else, they all remain silent on the printing of money, on the distribution of currency, like on, on wealth in general. It's sad. A government should, if it wants people to believe in its country, have its own currency that it completely controls and doesn't get out of doesn't allow to get out of control. That, of course, means you also simultaneously have to have really, really, really good leadership, patriots who love their country or region or territory. And we don't have that anymore. It's a very big problem. So we're going to skip ahead now to 1790. We'll call this section the first bank of the United States. And by the way, everyone, yes, please do donate today. We would very much like to get the furnace in our studio fixed up here. Our, our expenses are just absolutely, they're all through the roof. They, they really are through the roof. Our legal fees are through the roof. You guys know they laid six more charges on me on Monday. Uh, Derek and I, uh, 
we're not at our wits end. It's just that we don't have we don't have any way to deal with all of this. No, there's not enough. It's just there's not enough hours in a day to go and earn the money that we need to earn. So please do give us a hand if you could. Uh, KevinJJohnston.ca, donate today. One buck, two bucks, ten bucks, twenty bucks, a hundred bucks, whatever you feel that this show is worth. Anyone who donates will have all of my audio books and ebooks emailed to them within a couple of days' time. Uh, you can also do email money transfers to freedomreport.ca at gmail.com. And yes, we do have a snail mail address, which is at kevinjjohnston.ca. If you just uh, had uh, so hit the banner. Yeah, you got the banner ready. Yeah, you just hit our uh, website on the contact page. You can send checks, money orders there. We appreciate all of your help. And yes, you can go to kevinjjohnston.ca and donate cryptocurrency. You can do that. In 1790, three years after the U.S. Constitution was signed, the bankers, they were at it again. Like, there's no other way to word this, okay? Um, the money changers, they went to war. But they went to war with a Congress and a people and a, and a new founded nation that didn't understand that, that these guys were at war with them. So we have... The newly appointed first secretary of the treasury, and that's Alexander Hamilton. I think we've got a photograph of him. Do we? That's this or an right etching? Here? I'm sorry. Is that, it? I don't know that no, I don't think that may not be him. No, that's Jefferson. Okay, take those off. <laughs> well, I, we don't have the photo. We don't have the etching. Sorry, guys. Um, Alexander Hamilton. He proposed a bill to the new Congress to open up a privately owned central bank. That was supposed to be good for America. All right. Now, in that same year, when all this is going on, <laughs> and you're all say Rothschild in the in the in the room here, all of the time. Well, at the exact same time in the same year, that's 1790. You had uh, M. Rothschild. He made his public declaration, huge public declaration from his flagship bank in Frankfurt. Here's what he said. Actually, I think that's him. Is it? That, this what, what's the name on the slide? Uh, I can't see it here, but um, I'll, I'll look in the folder. Yeah, look in the folder if you could, please. That's got to be him. All right. I don't know what all the, the Rothschilds look like. And we, we've done so that's much. Rothschild. Yeah, that's yeah. him there. Okay, that's Amschel Rothschild. Okay, so he says publicly, and he says it so proudly that it actually makes international news at a time when international news is transported by hearsay on boats that take a month across the ocean, right? Like everyone knew that he said this. Let me issue and control a nation's money, and I care not who writes the laws. Why would you? Because if you control a nation's money, it doesn't matter what law is written, it's not going to pertain to you, right? Because you're going to buy yourself out of everything, period. And that, yeah, that's uh, slide number 014. 014? That, that, that's the one there. Okay, so 1791, you know, out of a combination of things, fear and panic and laziness, Congress decides to give these private bankers a 20-year charter. 20-year charter. And that bank was called the First Bank of the United States. It was also called the Bank of the United States, whichever... Um, whatever was was printed on the signs on that specific building. Um, the, that bank was actually built. The head office was built in Philadelphia where um, the shenanigans began. And it wasn't good. It really wasn't good. I'll explain this to you. You got this brand new 
bank that's been chartered. So you can do what you want. You've been given full permission and the blessing pretty much by law. You can actually take that down now. Uh, pretty much by law from the U.S. government saying, yeah, you guys are now the official bank of the United States. Um, but someone still had to put money up for this. Like buildings aren't free. Land is not free. Right? So what you've got here is this private bank was given the monopoly on printing U.S. currency. And the kicker was that 80% of its stock the stock of the bank being a private corporation, it was actually held by the investors who cooked this idea up in the first place. 80% of the value of the entire bank of an entire country was held by a few, a few paltry shareholders. The investors. Money was created out of nothing by private owners of this private institution. They went one step further and they convinced the president of the United States and Congress that this was actually really, really, really good. This was this was a good thing for America and that they were the most important thing that America had to offer. Um, can we put up um, 015, please? 015.jpg. Let's put that slide up. Is that the building? Yeah, there we go. That's it there. That That's the... Uh, that's the Bank of the, uh, of, uh, sorry, not the Bank of America. That's the uh, Bank of the United States. Boom. All right. So you've got 80% out of 100% that's been divvied up and given to the private shareholders in this bank. That shouldn't exist, but does. The other 20% of the value of the entire bank was purchased by the United States government. Okay. So the government gives away its own right to print money and then has to buy its own money from guys who just create it from nothing. How sick is that? <laughs> right? So the government bought its own money and the reason that all of this was done in this fashion is that the government that thought they were going to get a piece of the action of all the banking that was done in the country, they got nothing. You know, all the pieces of the action that would have been out there, like all the extra capital that was created from this, it all went to the 80% shareholders. And that is why um, countries, some countries fail almost immediately. Like brand new countries come around, they, they fail almost immediately because this type of banking system gets in place and whoever created the bank and convinced the new leaders that it was a good thing ends up being really, really rich within months and everybody else being, ends up being really, really poor and broke within five to 10 years. You know, private banks are not something that governments should rely on at all. So, uh, it gets a little bit crazier. I mean, I'm, I'm, I smile all the time when I, when I recite this stuff to you because here's the next kicker. The stockholders, they never paid the full amount for the actual value of those shares. They never paid the full amount. The U.S. government, when this happened, they put up the initial $2 million in cash uh, to the bank. And then the bank, through the fractional reserve lending that we covered last week, turned around and made loans to its own 
chartered investors so that they could come up with the other $8 million of capital needed for this 100% risk-free investment. Wow. <laughs> Could you imagine? That's wild. Let's recap that. Let's, let's just... The number, it's, it's funny. God, it's funny. And it's, it's so crazy. When you stop and think about this, all of this was done in less than a year. An entire country had to buy its own money after giving away its own rights to print its own money. And the guys who swore to God probably did this with the Bible. The guys who swore to God that they would invest the other amount didn't even begin investing the 80% that was required to get to 100% of investment until the U.S. government had put that $2 million bucks into the bank. And then they took that $2 million bucks and turned it into almost 10 times its value loaned it to themselves, and then bought invisible shares that technically didn't even exist with the money that didn't even exist. And now the U.S. government's indebted to these guys who did nothing aside from build a building and cook up a mathematical scam. I mean, if you and I did this, we'd be in jail. <laughs> yeah. Like, really, honestly. Like cashing your own checks in your bank account. How happy would Steve Jobs have been when he was young if every single investor that bought 80% of Apple when it was finally taking off, what if they never actually paid for the stock, except they were borrowing money from Steve Jobs himself, loaning it to each other, and then buying more stock of Apple with nothing? <laughs> it's positively insane. So when the U.S. government put up their initial $2 million in cash, you know, and then through fractional reserve lending you know these guys got really rich really fast because they were given loans of money that wasn't theirs which technically didn't exist to, to have stock to then or sorry to have capital to then buy stock in the very same thing that they knew was going to explode to hundreds of times its own value so the first bank of the united states it was named such to hide the fact that it was a privately controlled bank that's it. It sounds official. Like the Bank of England is privately held too. It sounds official though, doesn't it? So at no point, and this this is really like, I think we we all get a bit of upset about this, but and we should. The actual shareholders, the names were never revealed, and to this day we still don't know who they are. Sound familiar? Hmm. <clears throat> there's all kinds of this kind of shenanigans going on right now in Canada. And we have no idea who's behind it. We don't know who's getting the money. What we do know is we're broke. We all know that we collectively have nothing. You know, it's not like we don't have a pot to piss in, but we most certainly are worried about the toilet that we're peeing in right now. Can I afford to flush it next month? That's, that's how we're thinking. Oh yeah. Everybody's a paycheck away from being homeless. It's getting that bad. Yeah. There's going to be a lot more homeless people coming soon because this whole system, this is a this is a Western world thing, is being completely exploited against us. And then on top of all of this illegal, fraudulent stuff going on, then we get the the the, the fake COVID crisis, and then we get all the other fake nonsense to go with that. And it's hurtful. It's hurtful that we we can't do anything about that particular system. Okay. So 
Rothschilds, the name has been here. It's in the chat room here. I know. I know it's in the chat room. Yeah. Um, the famous and infamous Rothschilds, they were behind that bank. There you go. Done. I said it. Done. They were there. Rothschilds were there. How did they do it? I'll cover that again. They lied to Congress. Made them. To, they, they actually made them believe that not only was it a good idea, but they convinced Congress that having a privately held bank was the only way to have stability in your economy uh, and to eliminate inflation. So what happened? Well, in the first five years of this, the chartering of this bank, the U.S. government borrowed $8.2 million from the bank that they gave their own rights away to. Yeah. They borrowed money that they could have controlled. They borrowed money uh, that they could have owned. Didn't even exist. So in that same five-year time, after they were promised that inflation was never going to rise because they were being offered a stable banking system, inflation went up 72% in five years. Wow. 72% in five years. And no one knew why. Well, the bankers did. But no one else did. Couldn't figure it out. Uh, slide number 015, please. It was Thomas Jefferson. He wanted to destroy all this nonsense, but he couldn't. Uh, it, it took him quite some time to get in there. Can we get the slide number 016, please? I wish it were possible to obtain a single amendment to our Constitution taking from the federal government their power of borrowing. Now, isn't that, isn't that a brazen statement to make? We need to change our constitution, the rules and the laws of our land, so the government doesn't go to or cannot go to a private bank to borrow money that doesn't exist to run the economy. Hmm. He was right. He's absolutely right. So, you know, at this time, I mean, factor in, there's the British Revolution, there's the War of 1812, there's all kinds of wars and battles still going on with, uh, with the native tribes. Um, there's all kinds of battles going on you know, with European nations. Everybody's bad at everybody all the time. And it's, it's at the point where nations are jealous of each other because technology is beginning to, to, to not necessarily flourish, but it's, it's coming out to the point where some countries have muskets and some don't. Some countries have bayonets on their muskets and some don't. Some countries have big galleons as ships with three masts that can get the ship across the, uh, the Atlantic Ocean four days quicker, and some nations don't. There's a lot of jealousy and a lot of anger and a lot of desire for countries to outdo each other. And the only way that they know how to do it is to borrow more money and spend more money on these things that they 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 correctly believe that they need to keep their country safe, but it's the wrong way to acquire it because they end up in debt and the people themselves end up in debt and inflation goes through the roof, which we're seeing right now. I mean, in this neighborhood where our studio is, um, if we walk five streets away from where we are right now, the houses bloom from about six hundred thousand dollars in value to a million one. Just like that. <laughs> like just it's almost like you cross the road and this price change happens. The houses that we're looking at that are worth six hundred thousand dollars are not worth that. I swear to you, they're not worth that. In Texas, you can buy the same house for eighty thousand bucks. They're not worth it. And the one point one million dollar homes are are Texas homes that you can buy for 225 
maybe even less. They're not worth it, but inflation has driven us there. Why is gasoline four times the price in Canada than it is in the United States, considering how much of it we can actually make here? Inflation. Why is steak at Costco? Have you seen that? No, I haven't. Four? Forced? I don't go to Costco. I'm to go shopping right now. Mm. I don't shop either. A friend of mine snapped a photograph a couple days ago and showed it to me, where four steaks for $95. Wow. Yeah, inflation. That's insane. No, it's our banking system. I'm going to cover uh, inflation shortly. So in modern times, we're all angry because the United States government is still borrowing money from the Federal Reserve, a private bank, still to this day. They're borrowing their country and they're borrowing their economic future and the future of their own citizens. They're borrowing the value of all of that into oblivion. Because at some point, these private banks are going to be demanding their loans back. And where, where do you get the money? When, when you've spent the trillion bucks you've borrowed, where do you get it from if you can't print it yourself? You know, the only way to do it really is to start being violent and, and taking out the bankers. Pretty much. But there are so many solid contracts in place that even that wouldn't happen. So I want to talk about that because the United States, they, they constantly do this borrowing thing, borrowing from the Federal Reserve and paying back ridiculous interest rates. But in Canada, we're not doing it the same way. Instead, what we're doing in this country is we are printing more and more and more and more money. We're just printing it and just giving it away. Print, give it away. Print, give it away. Print, give it away. But to be $1.5 trillion in debt right now in this country with a population base of less than 38 million who can never pay it back, highly unskilled people, I might add, in this country right now because of our immigration policies, how do we ever recover from this? Well, yeah, we don't. And I'm going to, I'll explain something here. I remember it was either PlayStation 1 or the Sega Genesis. It was one of those older systems when I was in my early 20s. It came out, and then Monopoly was one of the uh, the games you could buy for the system, which we did, because it was easier to let the game do all the tabulations and calculating for you. And, um, you know, as, when you're younger, of course, you're really only playing the game for 15 minutes because you're trying to hit on the girl that happens to be, you know, in the room with you. That's what you do when you're young. Men are stupid that way. So in the game of Monopoly, you get 1500 bucks. Everyone's played Monopoly, so you guys know what I'm talking about. You get 1500 bucks at the beginning of the game. Um, and that game usually lasts about three, four hours before somebody wins. Uh, or in, in some cases, um, nobody wins. You just have to kind of declare that the game's over and you count your, your assets and your, and your money. But we decided, because I didn't understand money at the time, I said, this would be really awesome. we got to do this. we got to give everybody $20,000 because you could adjust how much money you got. Well, an hour later, all the properties on the board were purchased. And all we were doing was landing on each other's properties and paying them. Like money was just bouncing back and forth. But there was so much money, like we're talking 10 to 15 times the amount that you're supposed to have. There was so much money floating around this mini economy being a four-person board game that we realized there's no way to win. There's too much money in the system. So at the time, this, this particular version of it, I remember it. And again, forgive me if I don't have the gaming system correct, but we actually set the number of players. Uh, we, we started the game over and set the number of players to zero. So the game had to play itself. Like the number of computer players was four. The number of human players was zero. 
and the game played itself. And then we walked away from it and went to the kitchen and had our drinks, had our conversation. There was a pool in the backyard, did our pool thing, crashed in the couch, wake up in the morning. The game is still playing itself, by the way. All night long, there was no winner of four, four uh, computer players playing each other. There was too much money in the system for anybody to get ahead and anybody to win. Which meant that all the rent that was being charged every time somebody would land on one of those squares of a property that was owned didn't mean anything. Who cares? Here's 25 bucks. I don't care about 25 bucks. I've got $60,000 here. And by the way, when I land on the square next turn, you're going to get your 25 bucks back and the 60,000 stays the same. <laughs> right? That's. I thought that was incredibly... Uh, it was an interesting case study. And I ended up in college. One of the courses I had to take when I was there was economics because I took the architectural training program and with economics, you need to know how to price stuff out, obviously. Uh, I wrote about that and the teacher actually gave me an A on that paper. I was, I was quite thorough and detailed in what I was saying and how shocked I was. I actually did write a full conclusion about how shocked I was that with way too much money in the system, there was no way to win. Can I get slide number 17 up, please? 017. We talked about this briefly last week, and I've talked about this a few times. This is what happens with bad leadership. This is what happens with, with excessive bribes, with excessive spending, and excessive money printing. Zimbabwe, there, this is in the uh, this is in the late 80s. Uh, their, their inflation was bad. It was essentially doubling every year, but then they went into panic mode, and like I gave you the example with the Monopoly game there, they started printing bigger, 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 bigger notes. So you're looking at a $10 trillion note right now. This would get you a loaf of bread. The problem is... It's almost like back in uh, World War II. It was <laughs> yeah. World War One, was it? Uh, it was World War One. yeah. When, yeah, when the Deutsche Mark dropped to zero value. Like one, uh, a thousand marks was something like one, one sixteenth a penny. Yeah, it was pretty much like toilet paper, the worth of it. Kids used to play with it as toys. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, you got that. And this is when inflation began to double weekly. Can we go to the next slide, please? Number, uh, no, 18. 18. 018. There you go. Uh oh. There's, there's a, oh, wait, hold on. I think I. Uh oh. Just I, pop it up on your own. I think I made a boo-boo. Hold on, folks. We're, I want you to see this one here. Uh, we've probably showed this one to you before. It's, it's in, the, in the folder. I forgot it. Oh, you forgot it. Yeah, so okay. I'll just pop it up this way. 018? Yeah. Okay, let's get 018. There we are. Uh, yeah. He's almost got it. He's almost got it, folks. Oh, it's going there it is. Monkey. Yep, that's fine. That's it. Zimbabwe's leadership, Zimbabwe's incapacity to comprehend currency, their, their, their just sheer stupidity of having too much money floating around. Inflation began to double every 24 hours. So you saw a tra uh, this here, $10 trillion. The next day, $100 trillion. Like doubling, 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 tripling. It was insane. Now, like, what do you do with $100 trillion? Really? When this is what you, you spend on a cup of coffee, your money system is done. Like, you give up. And they did. Zimbabwe gave up. They burned all their currency. They told everyone to get rid of it. And now these things are collector's items all over the, all over the world. They're like a big joke. But they are real. That is real stuff. 
and they went to the U.S. dollar because they they were unable to uh, pull themselves back. Yeah, up. that's exactly it. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Sorry, guys. It's a lot. It's a, I know it's a lot of stuff. It's, I know that for a fact. Okay. I want to talk about opportunity knocks, and we're gonna. This is gonna have to be. We'll have to cover the second part of this in the next show. Opportunity knocks. We got to talk about Napoleon now, because I want you to comprehend a little bit more about the history of North America here. Uh, and yes, Napoleon is integral to it. Napoleon he hated the whole idea of the private bank. He wanted everything to be to be public, public financing. He wanted the Bank of France to be owned by France. Can I get number nineteen up, please? Mm -hmm. There we go. Well, there he is. Not a very good rendition of him, but there's Napoleon. Napoleon Bonaparte. Number twenty, please. Slide number twenty. Um, there we go. This is what he thought, and he was very, very adamant and public on this. The hand that gives is above the hand that takes. Money has no motherland. Financiers are without patriotism and without decency. Their sole object is to gain. Now, Napoleon was a hardcore fundamentalist patriot. Obviously, he was. He loved France. He wanted to be the emperor. He was the emperor of France. He killed a lot of people to get that to happen. But he did not want to relinquish control of the money supply to private bankers. He wanted to be a French one. Well, in 1880, Thomas Jefferson became the third president of the United States. Let's put him up. We got a nice pay, uh, portrait of him. He was like number. He was this guy. No. Nope. Is it? Hold on. No, I got a better one. Oh, you got a better one. I got a better one. Okay. Uh, do you not know what presidents look like? Well, you can't see them. <laughs> no, that's not it. You can't see them in these little windows here. That's not it. All right, let's not worry about it. Let's not worry about it. Okay, mm -hmm. Thomas Jefferson. He became the third president of the United States. He struck a deal. He struck a deal with Napoleon in 1803. The United States of America gave $3 million worth of gold to Napoleon's France in exchange for a huge chunk of territory west of the Mississippi River. What was that called? Come on. What was that called? America buys a big piece of land. Washington? No, sir. <laughs> that was already established. Oh. The Louisiana Purchase. A massive swath of land was purchased with gold. So the Americans benefited greatly from this deal. Absolutely greatly. And then Napoleon, he also benefited because with that money, let's go to slide number 021, please. With that money, he built an army. And he marched across Europe and he conquered everything in his pathway. And the Bank of England, see, this is where private banks really get on my nerves. And I agree with the idea of getting rid of control of our money supply with private people. The Bank of England, they saw this as a business opportunity. And they financed all of Napoleon's enemies. And they made bundles of money in wartime, lending money out to his opponents. And so Prussia, Austria, and Russia, they all went heavily into debt and still failed to stop Napoleon. So Napoleon, he's making money hand over fist. The banks are making money hand over fist. People are dying left, right, and center. But the bankers are fully in control of this. And, and there is money to be made in war. And these bankers know this. So after failing to stop Napoleon, four years later, it was Nathan Rothschild. That's the next slide. That's the one. Nathan Rothschild at age 30. Um, and this is back when Napoleon, he was still in Russia. He cooked up a bold plan to smuggle a shipment of gold through France. Um, 
that's a ballsy move. You're shipping, you're transporting gold, any type of value whatsoever, through a country that's war-torn, and there are partisans all over the place stealing everything from everyone. He gets this shipment of gold all the way through France because he wanted to finance Duke Wellington of Spain. Why? Because with Napoleon not being in France, Wellington would be able to dethrone the emperor and get somebody else in power. And he bragged about this. Like these criminals, they just brag about this. He bragged about it at a dinner party in London that it was the best business he'd ever done. That's that's slide number 22. I think we just showed that one. There we go. Okay. Actually, not quite, but we're almost there. So Wellington was able to attack France from the south, and that forced Napoleon to abdicate the emperorship, and then Louis XVIII was crowned the king. And that's when Napoleon, as you see here in this, this painting, he was exiled to the small island of Alba and supposedly exiled from France forever. Now, he escaped, but that was part of another very unusual plan to, to humiliate him later on, and I, I will not cover that tonight. Regardless, while in exile, um, the, the temporary, he was temporarily defeated by England with the financial help of the Bank of England and the help of the Rothschilds. So America was also trying to break free of these private banks. They, they really were. Everyone was starting to catch on to the fact that these private banks were creating problems everywhere. There was, there was war. There were battles absolutely everywhere because private banks could finance whomever they wanted whenever they wanted, and they did exactly that. And it's highly unfortunate that so many millions of human beings have had to die over money that doesn't even exist in the first place. Now, we covered the tally stick tonight. It doesn't exist. We, we covered cash in the previous show. It doesn't exist. You see here where bankers can just move precious metals wherever they want to convince people to kill each other to get the people into power that they want in power. Does that sound familiar? American election, Joe Biden, the people with the gold wanted him in. They wanted Trump out. Why? They wanted him in because they knew he'd be a puppet and they knew that Trump would always be in their way. And the same thing here in Canada. Look what happened in Alberta. Look what happened during the election in Alberta. They're not even hiding the fact that the elections are rigged. They wanted to have this, this maniac, Joyty Gondek, in office so they could push the climate nonsense she comes out says there's a climate emergency it's freezing cold outside right now we're freezing inside this building but apparently global warming is a thing they just wanted to do to do that so they could tax us more so you'll find bankers people with lots of money will put people like jody gondek into office so that they can take more money from us under the guise of doing something good for the planet and as we've covered before the planet will do just fine for the rest of its existence with us or without us it doesn't care that we are here Global warming cannot happen. We've already proved that as a species in that there's been more than 2,000 nuclear weapons detonated on the surface of this planet and not a single solitary degree of temperature increase. It's not possible. So give it up. At any rate, if there's any questions that any of you had about what I've said here, I'll certainly address them. Yeah, there's a few that popped up. In okay, uh, actually one popped up here. Hi, Kevin. Why are you promoting coins that are completely traceable by anyone with an internet connection? And Ethereum gas fees are horrendous. Yes, Ethereum is expensive. I, I agree with that. Now, But it's still something I trust more than the future of the Canadian dollar. 
There's privacy coins out there that people can use and nobody will even know you have any, let alone how much. Any transaction fees are a penny. XMR and ARR are, are the two that I have. And precious metals, the U.S. government made it illegal to own gold in 1933 by EO and forced everyone to turn it in. What's going to stop them from doing that again? Nothing. Nothing. If you have gold and silver, shut up. I mean it. Because when a wartime effort comes up or an economy tanks like in the uh, the Great Depression, if the government knows you have silver and gold, they're going to come and get it so they can mint coins or they can pay themselves or they can build infrastructure projects. I mean, yeah, so Hugh, uh, if you have gold and silver, platinum, copper, aluminum, anything like that pressed in bars or in coins, shut up. Bury it in your floor until no one about it. That's it. Nothing would stop them from taking it, except you keeping your big mouth shut. <laughs> that's that's how that would work. And, and yeah, um, not every single coin is completely traceable. Not every single transaction is completely traceable, but some are. But everything that we do with the Canadian dollar now is 100% traceable unless we're using cash. And even then, if we're using cash, everything that we do is 100% traceable because these stupid things here are telling the government where you are. And if they're pinging your phone number, looking for you, looking for whatever tower you happen to be closest to, they're going to know roughly which stores you were in that day. And then they just have to go to each store, flash their badge and say, we want your security footage and see if, if he was here buying something with cash. It's incredibly unfortunate um, that there's that much surveillance out there, but there is, and you got to play things smart. All right. Well, so what was that question? Pop it back up, please. Could they ban crypto by executive order? They probably could. Well, they could ban it officially. But anybody who's going to be utilizing cryptocurrency these days, again, uh, shut up and they don't know they can't do anything about it. Period. Uh, Binance.com. This is a huge wallet. They're an amazing company. You can buy over 300 different types of, of uh, cryptocurrencies, crypto coins there. The Ontario government came to them. Doug Ford said, we want records of everybody in Ontario who's a member of Binance trading back and forth so we can tax their earnings on crypto. Okay. What Binance say? No. And we're no longer allowing anybody in the province of Ontario to do business with us. They solved the problem. There we are. Um, Jennifer, should we be hauling our funds out of banks? Well, Jennifer, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I'm going to tell you what I've done. There's something like 250 bucks in my bank account right now. And that's about as much as I'm going to carry in there from now on. And that's enough to buy a couple of cups of coffee if I'm really desperate. This guy's been going nuts. So I'm going to yeah. get you to answer this question. Yeah, no, no worries. We'll answer questions here tonight. So what I'm saying to you here is that I have zero faith in any branch of government. I have zero faith in the Canadian dollar. I do not believe it is going to be here next year. I've been talking about this for a while. We have finally seen that the government here is prepared to go $2 trillion into debt. And that would be a deliberate thing that Justin Trudeau is doing so he can specifically bury the currency, bury its value, and introduce a brand new one. And he'll come to everyone saying, oh, you know, due to world economics and COVID and the unvaxxed, our currency has crashed. Yeah. That's what he'll say. But I'm your savior. We now have the CDN digital currency. You know what's going to happen. If you don't do what you're told, 
they shut off your money. If you don't get vaxxed, they shut off your money. If you don't wear a mask, they shut off your money. If you don't pay your taxes on time, they shut off your money. Jaywalk. You jay. Yeah, you like China. Yeah, that's right. They'll shut your money off. It will be to the point where if you get, if you get your hands on a fine, they'll just take the money. You're not even going to get a chance to fight this stuff in court. It'll be the reverse thing where you're going to be going to court saying, hey, you guys took my money. I want it back. That's how sick it's going to be. And that's exactly why I'm putting everything I have, everything we have collectively here is going into crypto because we're, we're not dealing with this government anymore. I've had enough. All right, here we go. Kevin, have you heard that all digital currency is set to crash when the three gorges damage? Oh, I've heard this one before. Okay, Jason. The three, <laughs> the three Gorges Dam in China, it was a stupid idea to begin with. It was too large of a span. Uh, uh, look it up for yourselves, folks. It was too large of a span for this dam to last for a very long time. It was built by Chinese construction companies that cared about profit and not about keeping the people alive downstream. The thing is falling apart now. It is going to fall apart now. And they didn't think it through. They didn't do their mathematics. They were so busy trying to get it built that they didn't realize it was actually going to slow the planet down, which it did. It was something like 0. 0.000, like nine zeros, one. Right? So it actually did redistribute so much weight on the planet that it affected the planet's spin. And when it breaks, it'll no longer affect the planet's spin. But what the hell does the Three Gorges Dam have to do with Luxembourg, England, Tripoli, United States, Canada, even Russia. It has nothing to do with it at all. That project was supposed to be for the Chinese people. It barely covers them. It's not like the Three Gorges Dam does anything for us. So, yeah, no, zero. next. Zero. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Next. I have nothing on my up here. Good financial advice. Do not place all your eggs in one basket. 100%. If you can afford property and silver and gold and platinum and copper and crypto and keep some money on the side, yeah, that's what you should do. But we don't all have that option. And if we're all looking for a way to make money on the money that we have, that is why we're in the crypto market now. Yeah. Uh, Crypto.com. They allow you to stake your, your money with them. These guys are solid, by the way. If you guys want to sign up for Crypto.com, you get 25 bucks and I get 25 bucks US in crypto. And Crypto.com coin, um, it's it, it quadrupled since I bought into it. And then it, it dropped down to about triple the value. But nonetheless, this one is slated to go to 25 bucks per coin. Yeah. Uh, so with it going to that value, if you're buying it right now at about 65 cents per coin, you're going to be uh, getting, that's, that's 25, 30, about 37, 40, almost 40 times your value in that. Now, you can equally as easily lose it. But when you've got a company that puts over 200 million bucks into an advertising campaign so far, uh, to make sure that this cryptocurrency is going to be legit and a stable coin, the odds are pretty good it will be. And that's what you have to factor in. And then we talked at length, everybody, about uh, ShakePay being the easiest wallet that we've come across. You have to have a digital wallet to buy, trade, and move currency. You just have to. And digital wallets are amazing because if you keep your mouth shut and uh, never share your password or your login identification or anything else, if you do all of that, uh, you'll be fine. You'll be able to hang on to it. Canadian banks, they they are planning for the introduction of a Canadian digital currency. So you're not allowed to use your credit card in Canada, nor are you allowed to use a SWIFT code from a Canadian bank to buy digital currency inside of Canada. 
it's sick because they don't want you doing it. They don't want competition. But ShakePay at least allows you to purchase digital currency through email money transfers. That's amazing. That's perfect. So if you sign up at ShakePay, shakepay.me slash r slash bn tn ck9. Guys, go ahead and sign up there. And then you're able to, to buy your, uh, your Ethereum and your Bitcoin, the two coins I recommend that everybody have. Uh, and then you can transfer it wherever you want. And it's, it's a very easy site to, uh, to use. Hold on, I'll answer that question in a second there. And then don't forget to sign up at pinnacleventures.io slash Kevin J. Johnston. Because what happens is you become part of my team and all the tech support calls that I make to you are absolutely no charge whatsoever. But that's where you can stake, invest your cryptocurrency. And if you buy the pro package, which is not that expensive, you can make eight, you are, not can, you do make 8% per month and it's paid to you daily. And then you with every week you withdraw your, your royalty earnings, put them in shake pay and then fire them right back into your pinnacle account to keep you to keep compounding what you have. And that's amazing. Positively amazing. As you guys know, I did all my research into both of these companies. I wasn't going to get involved with either one if I thought for a second that they weren't going to be legit. Pinnacleventures.io slash Kevin J. Johnston is 100% legit. And uh, I happen to know the vice president of the company on a personal level, which I have since grade seven. So I, um, I highly recommend this. There's been a lot of members that have signed up for this and they quite literally are in that position now at 8%. Um, and we had this graphic up once before. Did we, here it is. That's just an example there. If you put $4,000 in at 8% and you you stake it and you compound it every, every month, you double your money in the 10th month. Now, that's all in crypto, but you can cash it out. So if you've got cryptocurrency uh, in a wallet, you can always cash it back out. You can always take the cash out. ShakePay is actually the easiest way in the world to do it. You would move money into your ShakePay account and then move it to your bank account. It'll convert like you're selling your cryptocurrency for Canadian cash and then send it back to your uh, to your bank account. So in the case of that $4,000, let's say, for example, you invest about what? Um, $30,000. If you're investing $30,000 in month number 10, it's worth about $63,000. And you can just live off the interest that you're making every month. It's just compound. But pull out only what you need and nothing, not a penny more. No bank in this country, or even North America for that matter, is offering interest rates like that, ever. Most people's interest rates are something like 0.01. It's not even 1%. So this is where the crypto market grants us the uh, opportunity to, to get extremely wealthy. And then, you know, we were laughing about some of the what we call junk coins. You can actually buy cryptocurrencies out there that are relatively very, very brand new. And they release a whole bunch of the coins out into the, uh, into the market. Uh, we bought 200 million of uh, mini flokiata what the heck yeah that's the name of it all right so here here let me let me yeah her, her. i'll type i'll type in the number <laughs> i want to make sure we get this number right because i i gotta type it in so let me make a comment on myself um zero zero point zero there we go so this is the number here that's what mini flokiata per coin is worth so 0. 0.00002 of a penny. 
that, that, that. So it's the sixth decimal place before you have a value. So for kicks, we bought 200 million coins. If that coin through whatever trade or through popularity, somebody, some celebrity says they buy it. If that coin goes to a penny in value, we've now made $37 million. And this is what we call the, um, the second renaissance of cryptocurrency. Many, many millionaires and billionaires have been made in cryptocurrency because they got in at the right time. The next two years is going to be the right time to, uh, to do all this, to make millions. Otherwise, it's just going to be standard currencies that everyone's going to have to have or you're not going to be able to trade in the open market. But what was that question there? Toss that one up. Will Revenue Canada tax you on this? Well, if you want to tell them about it, yeah, of course they will. Yeah, yeah it's up. Zip, okay. it. Zip it. You want to go to the casino and, and bet your entire life savings on, on black on the roulette wheel and you win? If you feel like telling Revenue Canada about that, yeah, of course they're going to ask you for uh, for their share. I don't consider it their share, but they certainly do. Um, when you got something, shut up. I drive, a, I, I, I drive a car that's 28 years old. Because I don't want to draw attention to myself. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to flag and sign that says, rob me, steal from me. Why would anybody want to talk about what they have? Aside from those who like to show off, what why would any of you ever talk about what you have? Just food for thought. I know that I wouldn't. All right. I'm researching where a hundred dollars can earn you 10 to 15 percent. Stan, when you figure that out, you let me know. Because <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think it's going to happen at all. I'll jump on it. There you are. I see a lot of people are still talking about the Three Gorges Dam. Yeah, there's okay. not much going on over no. there either. I, I couldn't care less about that thing. I really couldn't care less. So we're not going to address... change in dams. We're yeah, and, about cryptocurrency. <laughs> and, and we care about neither. We, we really don't care about either one of them. Yeah, there's a link. There we go. Now, Dan says this. Keep using physical money in our society. It's the only way to stay... For us to stay free, period. Not if the cash that you have has been deliberately devalued by the government. Can you look up? Yep. Yeah, I want you to look this up right now. 1976. 1976. Olympic silver coins. I want you guys to understand what I'm talking about. It's very important that you understand this. Just want a picture of one? Just a photo. Just give me a second, folks. Yeah, okay. That that's one of them. Okay. Okay. It's a whole set though. Like this? Do an image search. No, that's not it. Okay. Okay. I'll find it. I'll, I'll do the same thing. Nineteen seventy-six. Montreal. Oh, oh sorry, sixty-seven. See, no, seventy-six. Yeah. Seventy-six. Sixty-seven was the expo. <laughs> Montreal. Yeah. Uh, Olympic coins. Here's uh, four coins. No, it's not them. Okay, I found it. Okay. I found it. I'm just going to have to upload this photo for everyone to see. It's not uh, It's not very crystal clear, but at least you'll get the point. Almost there, people. Bear with me for one second. And... My God, that's a big picture. Sorry, guys, it's loading. Okay, here we go. For the Olympics, to raise money for the Olympics, because in Quebec, 
uh, every single politician out there had their money in the uh, hands and sorry, the, the, the coffers. There were a lot of millionaires that were made on that because everybody was just stealing money from the Olympic Committee's uh, funding programs. This uh, this coin set was brought out. I I have one of these, but I can't find it. Well, <laughs> I, I don't know where it is. Now the coins, the silver coins are not ninety nine point nine percent pure, but the uh, the coins themselves had they had a face value. So some of the smaller ones were worth two bucks. Some were worth five. Some were worth ten. Uh, some were worth twenty. And one of them, I think, in this set was worth $25. They actually had the face value. So you could hand in a $25 coin, and it would be interpreted as a value of 25 bucks. And these things, they were pretty popular for a while. Um, coin collectors were, were mad crazy trading these things all over the place. And people were actually spending the coins. Yeah. like I think they were 87% silver. They were spending the coins. And then one day, the government said, nope. All the collector coins we've done for Expo 67, Montreal uh, uh, 76, uh, Expo 86 in Vancouver, all these special collector coins that they had, the government just said, we have now devalued them. They're no longer worth the face value. So the $25 coin was now worth zero, except for the silver content inside of it uh, and the value that the collector who's buying them would put on them. So if the government can devalue millions of coins in a day, they can devalue your cash in the very same day. So like they, like they did in Greece there with the banks, they shut them all down. They shut everything down. Yeah, and Colleen, you're right, hard to run for the hills with a bag of coins. Um, but honestly speaking, if the country is at the point um, where nobody cares about cash and they only care about food and uh, munitions and medicine and water, the hell with the coins they're staying home someone takes them at that particular point it doesn't make a difference as long as i'm eating and they're looking at coins that they can't eat it doesn't matter at all okay there's a question here cheryl kevin what do you charge for the one-on-one -on -one phone consultations for those who need more information and how and want to invest okay depends on how long you want to talk um i've been spending a lot of time doing more and more research so, i mean Right now, for me to, to delve in and make the phone call, it does pull me away from that. So um, uh, I don't think we put the price on the website today, did we? No. As low as 50, as high as 200. That I can tell you. And I'll make sure that I talk with uh, James, our coder, and get that on the website for people to purchase. But it's one-on-one -on -one conversation. And if, you, if you're not understanding what I'm saying, I can bring you into a private chat room, again, one-on-one, -on -one, and I can demonstrate for you. That's... That's why we do it. And I'll fill your head with as much as you need to know. I'll tell you what's safe and what's not. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I'll tell you what's safe and what's not. Um, there we are. And then somebody, it was a little while ago here, but I'm going to see if I can find it. Somebody, it was like a half question and half uh, statement about crypto. And it was a sad story. But I'll address it as much as I remember it. Somebody had indicated that they put about $100,000 worth into Bitcoin. And when it came time for them to cash the Bitcoin out and move it to a different wallet, they were given the runaround by the guys who were writing the wallet saying that, oh, there's a, a fee attached to it. So, yeah, like they wanted something like $15,000 worth of Bitcoin to be able to release the rest of the Bitcoin. That's a farce, everybody. If someone's telling you 
that in order for you to get access to your digital currency, your crypto.com, your Bitcoin, your Ethereum, your BNB, your any of that stuff, they are a scammer and you got to call the cops immediately. And I mean immediately. It's the same thing as some private guy for some reason now has access to your bank account and tells you that, oh, you've got $100,000 in cash in your bank account, but we're going to take a $15,000 fee to withdraw that. And then you can have the other $85,000. But before we do that, we need you to contact our manager in this office at this time. Here's the toll free number. That's not going to work. And the guy's never going to be in the office if you do get through. And then they're going to hit you with another fee on top of that. Like Once a scammer gets one fee out of you, they're going to try for two or three more. There's no fees. In the crypto game, whenever I'm helping people with ShakePay, uh, with Pinnacle, doing their investments in Pinnacle.io, um, with Crypto.com, with anything else, I am helping you put your cryptocurrency into your own wallet that I do not have access to. So when you decide you want to move your money, you do it whenever you want. If somebody is going to ask you for your user identification and password for your cryptocurrency account, it's worse than someone asking for the user ID and password for your Facebook page. You're not going to give them that. So don't ever give them the passwords to your cryptocurrency wallet. You're asking for trouble. In fact, you're asking to be broke. You also have to make sure that you go with reputable um, wallets. And in time, I'll be announcing the best ones to go with, period. There's one I'm going to tell you not to go with right this second. In fact, I'm going to type it in the, uh, the bottom for you right now. Ooh, goodbye. Do not, under any circumstances, get involved with bitbuy.ca. You can buy maybe 10 uh, uh, cryptocurrencies through them. But if they don't like you, they shut you down. They did this to me. I opened an account. I didn't buy anything with them. I opened an account and I was just, I was playing with everything. And then we realized that we had the wrong email address in there. And when I asked them to, uh, to change the email address, they said, you have to send in a photograph of you handwritten note asking for the address to be updated with your identification in your hand. And then they would make a change for you. Well, I did that. And because it was me, they shut my account down. Just, your name. just killed it. Gone. No, because they recognized my face. Right? They just shut the account down. Yeah. If they can do it to me, they can do it to any of you. And a company that decides to get into this game where you're talking about real money, like cryptocurrency is real money. If they're going to shut you down because they don't like your face or your politics or whatever you stand for, then they'll shut anyone down and you cannot deal with these people because they're not reliable. They're worse than a bank. Because at least the banks, you can sue them and get somewhere. With BitBuy, you can sue them and get nowhere. So I'd ask you uh, to heed my advice and do not deal with bitbuy.ca. They are, they're junk. Absolute junk. Let me just shoot over to the email box. We've got a few more emails just popped in here. Yeah, I haven't gotten much. All right, John's asking here, can you flip it daily? Is there any benefit to doing so? Um, you're not flipping, you'd be compounding. If you're able to put more and more and more digital currency into pinnacleventures.io uh, slash Kevin J. Johnson, if you're able to, to do that, your interest is tabulated daily. So 
Yes, if you want to keep adding to it, there's the website for you again, pinnacleventures.io slash Kevin J. Johnson. If you're going to do that, John, the benefit is the interest rate that you'll be given the next day is on the new higher value that you've put in. So yeah, there is an advantage to it. If you withdraw daily, you'll pay fees. No advantage to withdrawing every day at all. Do it once a week. If it's Ethereum, do it once a month. All right. Thank you for that one. Okay. Karen. Let's have a look here. Okay, Karen, I'm not going to read this out. This looks like a private question, and I see you're in Calgary here. I'll just say uh, yes. If you are looking to speak with me about this, I certainly will do so. I'd love to... Uh, to show you how the whole thing works. And again, that's where I would do a private consultation with you. So, uh, Karen, the way that I would do it is this. If you're a member of PinnacleVentures.io and you've invested something into it, I don't charge for my time because we're now part of the same team. And if you were looking to get all kinds of information prior to investing, then we would talk about that. It'd be the charge like we talked about earlier. But yeah, the answer is yes to that. Let me just have a look. There's more questions popping in here. Yeah, thanks, Rose. There it is again, bitbuy.ca. Stay as far away from those guys as you possibly can. Um, yeah, so I'm just look. There's a bunch of emails here. Yeah, a couple trolls. Yeah, profanity. Delete, <laughs> delete, 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 and delete. All right. Now, as for crypto.com, um, my jacket here. No, no. With crypto.com, uh, I'm recommending that one to absolutely everybody. First off, it's uh, it's uh, it's going to be a stable coin very soon. And stable coins mean the ones that are going to outlast all the others. The ones that anybody who's in the know on digital currency will purchase and stick with. That's what that would be called. Uh, so you can sign up at crypto.com. And at crypto.com, once you sign up, you use my referral code. We both get 25 bucks. Okay, hold on a second there. Crypto.com has decided to do something a lot different than uh, than all of the companies. Because a lot of people, um, I know this, like, this is brand new to everybody. And I was frustrated beyond belief trying to get into it, trying to get wallets open and just trying to get everything in my head as to how it all works. Like five years ago, moving crypto was impossible. You, you needed to be a, a high-end, highly skilled coder and whatnot. Um, this is a sample card, everyone. All right. So what happens here? Crypto.com. It's it, this is the metal sample card. We've actually applied for real ones, but what they've got is a uh, is a is a Visa card. You put your cryptocurrency on the Visa card, but you can spend the Visa card or you spend your crypto as money anywhere in the world that takes Visa. That's pretty phenomenal. So you're buying the cryptocurrency, you're staking the currency with them, you're earning your percentage points with them, and you can also use your crypto as money. And I'll tell you, it's the most remarkable way in the world to, to have a, a large sum of money with you at all times, but nobody can take it from you. Nobody. And this is where governments are going to crack down eventually on this, because if you're going to... If you're going to be holding $60 million in value in, in, in cryptocurrencies and you're traveling to and from countries, the main question is, how much cash do you have on you? 
because most countries will not allow you to have more than $10,000 cash when you cross the border because they don't want you buying drugs or money laundering or whatever it might be. But if you've got a, a crypto visa card on it that only you can access that has $60 million on it, the answer is you don't have, that's not money. No, that's, that's a credit card. Uh, they, they're not asking, do you have prepaid credit cards? Much like in the past, uh, I'm dating myself now, but when my parents took me and, uh, and, and my brother and whatnot to Florida back in 1979, 1980, my old man was adamant on carrying traveler's checks. So when we would cross the border, sometime, not every year, but I mean, the guards would ask, um, how much money are you carrying with you? And my father would probably have himself somewhere close. I think the limit back then was 5,000, but he had somewhere close to that. And with the traveler's checks, he had more than that. But for whatever the reason, they didn't care about the traveler's checks. They didn't care about the traveler's checks at all. They only cared about the cash value. Eventually, they're going to start looking for that kind of thing, but right now they're not. And it's going to be a few years um, before they do. So I'm not going to get too upset or too worried about that right now. Okay. But does it take a fee of Visa card monthly without using it? No. It works the other way. They want you to hold that card in your hand because for crypto.com to have their own Visa card, that's a commercial. right? If you are holding it and saying, this is my crypto Visa card, if you're holding that card in your hands, you're telling people about crypto.com. They're going to get more customers just because you're proud of the fact that you've got a credit card with crypto on it that you can spend this cash. No, that's a marketing ploy for them, but it's a good one. It's a very good one. Plus, with crypto.com, um, they allow you to stake your money and earn, earn interest on their cryptocurrency as well. So, no, there's no fees with that. And to entice you to get in there, uh, if you have if you have the Platinum card, I think it's called, you get free Netflix, you get free Prime Video, you get free Hulu, free Spotify. Them? Yeah. Really? Yeah, you get all that stuff for free just because you have the card. That's it. So these crypto companies, they're going to be going out of their way. They're going to be bending over backwards, finding the best way to offer the best product they've got and the best customer service going to get you to use their currency and not the government's currency. And I'm, I'm done. I'm personally finished with the government's currency. I, I don't care about it anymore at all. I don't even see it as valuable anymore, period. So there we go. All right. Yeah, the traveler's checks. A few people are cracking jokes here in the uh, in the email about traveler's checks. Yeah, we all remember them. American Express traveler's checks. We always remember the commercials where if you lost your traveler's checks, they would replace them for you. Yeah, it's pretty good. After a week. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, however long it took, but you still got them back. That part we did know. So uh, I'm going to recap everything here. Oh, hold on. Wait, we got one more question. Our good friend Yaroslav is asking, does the initial price of the package in Pinnacle Ventures generate interest? Does the price of the package go to Pinnacle Ventures and is it non-refundable? Can I change packages in the future to upgrade? Yes to the third one. You can upgrade whenever you want. Um, the initial price of the package that you see in Pinnacle Ventures, yes, it does. There's just their small fee to uh, to get in there. So, um here, I'll show it to you. Actually, can you bring up kevinjjohnson.ca and hit the crypto page, please? Yeah, so the price, does the price of the package go to uh, Pinnacle Ventures? 
Let, let's do that right now. Let's bring that up because I want to answer your question there, Yoslav, and thanks for asking. Certainly do appreciate that. We'll yeah. show people how to get there too. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, we'll show them my website where they can find this information whenever they want it. Okay, we'll there see. it is, kevinjjohnston.ca. There we go. If you look at cryptocurrency on the bar up top, yep. hit it. I hit it. Okay, scroll down. There's the referral links that we've got there. So if you want to join up with ShakePay, there's your link. You want to join uh, PinnacleVentures.io slash Kevin J. Johnson, there's your link. You want to get onto Crypto.com, there's your link. Now scroll down further, please. A little bit further, a little bit further. Uh, stop. Very good. So I'm going to go full screen here. I can't quite see it. All right. So the starter package, uh, Yaroslav, that you're asking there, is they want you to have for Bitcoin 0.007 Bitcoin. That's, what would you figure that is? About 500 bucks value right now? And then they have a processing fee that they charge at 0. 0.000175. Um, the 0. 0.007, that's yours. That's what you're, you're building your investment off of. The smaller fee below is the fee that they take. And you can take your investment out any time. And then with the pro, which is 0. 0.056, that's what you need to invest with them to get the 8%. But that's your money. That's not their fee. That is your, that's your money. Um, and I'm just going to shoot over to my site because I really, I'm having a tough time seeing that. Yeah, I can okay, scroll back up. Scroll back up. Is that, is that better? I'm going to go to CoinGecko right now and tell you what that's worth. Okay. So, yes, 0 0.05600. That's what you need to invest. And then their fee is below that, which is 0 0.0014. So, 0 0.0. Five, six. So right now in Canadian dollars, that would be 3,516 bucks. That changes every second of every day. But if you put in $3,516 uh, plus their fee, you're earning 8%. And the 3,500 bucks is yours to remove whenever you wish. And then I'll do a quick calculator on that. So you've got 3,000. I'm just going to round it off to 3,500 times 0 0.08. So it's 280 bucks that you make in your first month. Yeah. But because it's paid to you uh, weekly, you can reinvest weekly. And that's where it gets pretty powerful. So again, if you're having any difficulty whatsoever there, Yaroslav, getting signed up, let me know. And we can get you uh, all signed up. And if anybody was to say to you, and this is another scam that you got to watch out for. And I beg you, if you need to, you contact me so that I can clarify it for you. There's no such thing right now as anybody reliable that I know on a personal level who would say to you, hey, let's pool all of our Bitcoin. All of you give me your Bitcoin, put it in my account, and now we're all going to share in the bigger amount of money. Don't ever trust someone like that. Please. I'm never, with any help that I offer with cryptocurrency, uh, I'm not going to be asking for your passwords. I don't want your user IDs. I don't even want to know what email address or phone number you've used as your, your two-part authentication. I don't want to know any of that stuff. I'm not going to ask for it. And I'm most certainly not going to say, take your money and put it in my account so that we can pool our resources. Now, if anyone does that, they're a con artist. 
and discontinue your relationship with them immediately. And then maybe even let everyone that you know, know about them. Because you really don't want to have that kind of trouble in your lifetime. All right. Kevin, 10 to 15% involves Bitcoin lending. Basically, it's people buying Bitcoin from you with a fee. Yes. Too much paperwork for me right now, my friend. Um, I'm having way too much fun learning this, but I am dedicating vast numbers of hours to uh, to my education and a lot of experimentation, a lot of conversations I'm having with a lot of people a lot of the time. So I can't really get into borrowing, staking, or lending right now. Or sorry, borrowing or lending right now. I'm staking because staking is easy. You stake your cryptocurrency and you leave it there. All right. I think that's everything we wanted to cover tonight. So again, if you guys want to get involved with ShakePay so you can buy Bitcoin and Ethereum, it's shakepay.me slash r slash bntnck9. You'll find that link at kevinjjohnston.ca. Just hit the cryptocurrency page and you're good to go. Pinnacleventures.io slash kevinjjohnston. Sign up there and be a member of my team. And that is where you guys can get your, your cryptocurrency, your Bitcoin, and your Ethereum into there and start earning as high as 8%. And I'll show you how to move your money to and from your account whenever it suits you to do so. And you'll be floored. When I give you the demonstration in person, you'll actually you'll be absolutely floored at how quickly your money grows in there. And don't forget crypto.com. Sign up today. You get 25 US. I get 25 US. All in crypto.com's uh, coins. Their coins right now are worth about 65 cents per coin, slated to go to 25. Plus, you get that cool Visa card just by applying. Crypto.com slash app. And there's the rest of the garbly gook. That's my referral code where you can <laughs> sign up for it and be good to go. And please also remember, everybody, to donate today. You know, we've got to fix our furnace. We've got to fix our lights. We've got to pay our legal fees. There's a lot of stuff we got to do. It's crazy how much we absolutely have to get done. So please go to kevinjjohnston.ca, donate two bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever you feel that this show is worth. I'll send everybody who donates all of my books, that's Masks Are BS, Tales of Crazy, Lacrosse is Dead, and, and Biden's America, all in ebook and in audiobook formats. Uh, that's worth about 100 bucks or so, but I'm just going to send them to you for any donations at all. Even if it's only five bucks, I'll send that over to you because we do want to make sure we can keep the lights on here and stay warm. I'm still freezing. Yeah, I'm My knuckles cold. are just, just frozen. My hands are sore. I'm getting cranky. Right? <laughs> Whatever it might be. That's it for now, everybody. Thank you very much for being here. I will host part three of the history of currency so that we all get a better understanding as to how things are, how we've all been lied to, how badly we're being screwed by our governments, um, how badly how bad our education system is. Like, we don't know any of this stuff. It's really terrible that we don't. Nonetheless, I'll be back on the show again tomorrow night, everyone. My name is Kevin J. Johnson. This is the Kevin J. Johnson Show that runs Monday to Friday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Calgary time and 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Toronto time. We want to bring hope and solutions to all of you. So please do let me know if you want to get your Canadian currency put into something that you can protect. That's it for now. I love you all, everyone, and we'll see you tomorrow. Good night.